Okay, we are in the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, and uh, we'll pick up where we left last time, left off last time, and that's Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Acts 3.17, Now I know, brethren, and now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, has thus, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything, he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. And it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers. Saying, God made to your father Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Okay, so in verse 17... First, just above that, as we had read last time, it says that, that he talked about the sin that, that had been committed by the people, how they had delivered up Jesus. And very clearly he says that it is because of you. So he, he attributed it to the people there that were living there at that time. In this next chapter, he'll attribute it to Herod, to Pilate, to the leaders of Israel, and to the Gentiles as well. So nobody escapes on this. But then he says to them in verse 17, And now I know, brethren, that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. So ignorance does not excuse us from responsibility. But what it does is it lays a foundation for the receipt of mercy, should we repent. Because he says, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return that your sins may be wiped away. So just being ignorant of it did not suffice without repentance. There must be repentance and a return. So what Jews do is they have to repent from lack of following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and return to following God. What Gentiles do is they repent for following idols and turn to God. And so he tells them to repent and to return, so that their sins may be wiped away. So just being ignorant of our sins, we are still responsible. It doesn't, it doesn't absolve us from sins just because we're ignorant, because if it absolved us, there would be no need for repentance. But he says, therefore, repent and return that your sins may be wiped away. Repentance is very different than being remorseful. To have remorse is different than repentance. I have seen men that are sorry for their sins, sorry that they got caught, 
but never spoke a word of repentance. And people are deceived by that. And, and these men end up just continuing in their walk of sin. There's, it's, it's not just being remorseful. It says that, that uh, uh, Judas was remorseful for his sin, but he never repented. To feel bad about our sin isn't enough. We have to take it the next step and be willing to repent. That is saying, God, I am sorry, and turning from that way to God, falling at His feet and saying, God, forgive me. God, help me. This is what it means to repent. He says, turn and repent that your sins may be wiped away. Our sins will never be wiped away without repentance. Well, I thought Jesus died for the sins of man. Well, if He died, He died for them too. Why do they have to turn and repent? Because turning and repentance is a necessary step. The debt has been paid. We receive it as we turn and repent. Repent and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There is a, a repentance that comes upon the day of salvation when we repent and give our heart to the Lord. There's also a constant walk in repentance. Constant walk. And it's a constantly being open to reproof. Look in, in, in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 6, there's this beautiful verse there in Proverbs chapter 6, that reminds us what our life really has to be about. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 6.23 says, The reproofs for discipline are the way of life. You want to know what the way of the life of the believer is? It's being open to reproof and correction. I remember... I moved into a discipleship house when I was in college. So in my junior year of college, the church had a discipleship house. They, had, they actually had two houses near campus that, that, that guys lived in and one house that, that women lived in. And, they, and it was a discipleship program where we'd wake up early in the morning and we had different activities we had to do and we ate together in the evenings. Now remember when I first walked in there... Uh, the guys were doing the dishes and they asked me to put the silverware away. I thought, oh, that's easy. And so I took the silverware and I dumped it all in the, in the drawer there. And it, there were all these little places to put things. And I just threw them all in the drawer. I figured, you know, if you want a spoon, you're going to find it in that pile. I didn't know you had to put spoons here and forks here. And, and one guy said, hey, hey, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? He says, what are you doing there? I said, I'm putting away the silverware. He says, that's not how you do it. I said, how do you put away the silverware? He says, you put the spoons in here. You put the forks in here. I said, what's the difference? He said, you got a lot to learn. And that was just the beginning. Every day, every day, I was being corrected for something. And after a while, you feel like, I mean, what is going on here? But every day, I was corrected for something. Reproofs for discipline are the way of, the li- of, the way of life for a believer. And thank God that you have people that speak into your life as believers that say, hey, you know, that's not the way you put the silverware away. That's not what you do. I'll tell you, you you know, as you you go on in life and as you get older, one of the the, uh, things that I miss is people that I greatly respect speaking things into my life. 
And so what I try to do is I try to meet with guys and say, hey, look, would you speak into my life? You know, I need you to speak into my life and, 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 and to, you know, help me out here when I'm doing wrong and going the wrong way. And one of the things that, you, that as you get older, I think that, that uh, uh, is that people are less willing to speak into your life because, you know, there's less people older than you, so they, you know, they, they, they don't feel that, that they have that opening or... You, you know, maybe you have less close relationships with, with people or something. But that is the way of life for the believer. And there's this constant attitude of, Lord, if I've messed up here, show me. And, and repentance and, and walking in that. And then he says back in Acts chapter 3, he says, he says in verse 19, 19, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So first, first he says, repent, return to God, and then your sins are going to be wiped away, and then you'll have times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. If you're ever having trouble just continually, day after day, having trouble drawing into the presence of God, ask God. Say, God, is there something here in my life that's preventing my coming in? Is there something here in my life that's preventing this? And sometimes that will happen. He says, and, and then he'll reveal something to your heart and say, God, forgive me for that. And then if you've already asked forgiveness for it a hundred times, you don't have to ask again. God has forgotten. God is saying, walk in that forgiveness. Receive it. And then times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. This treasure that we have as believers to be able to have Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord is really an absolute treasure. To be able to come before God and spend time. You know, I go on campus and I, I, I go to the chapel, I just fall on my knees and start talking to the Lord. And it's such a shame because none of my colleagues have this opportunity. None of them know this joy of just being able to come before God. The blessing that we have to be able to come before God. And you have that blessing too. And if you don't avail yourself of it, that's your problem. The Scriptures are clear. You can be refreshed in the presence of God. And sometimes when I feel harried and, and just worn out, I come before the Lord. You spend 25 minutes before the Lord and you will feel refreshed. Just begin to talk to Him and praise Him for the great things He's done in your life. And this freshness comes because of the presence of God. And unbelievers don't have that. This is a treasure that we have. And the Scriptures talk about it. That you can have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 20, and that He may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. So, what he's, this has a very real application for us today. That we can have this time of refreshing with the Lord. He sends Jesus the Christ appointed for us. But it also has an application for them in that time. What he's saying is, if Israel will but repent, then the Lord will return and He will set up that messianic kingdom. The kingdom that He was going to set up had they not uh, uh, said that He was demon-possessed the thing that He withdrew from them in, in Matthew chapter 12. 
and we know it's going to be restored when Israel as a nation repents. And he's speaking of that too. And he say, well, how can the Scriptures speak of that to that generation and then speak to us today about spending time with God? And I'll show you. In, in, uh, in Acts chapter, chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. So you see, what he's doing is he's actually quoting, he's quoting a verse from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, in that verse 22 and verse 23, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 18, and he says, God is going to raise up for you a prophet. Moses said this. Moses said, God says he's going to raise up for you a prophet like me. Well, what was unusual about Moses? What made him different than all the other prophets? The Bible says what made Moses different is God spoke to Moses face to face, mouth to mouth. God spoke to Moses differently than he spoke to the other prophets. God spoke to, to Moses face to face, it says. And so Moses says another prophet like me is going to be raised up. And that's Jesus. That is Jesus. And what he's saying, what Peter is saying in this preaching is, is that this prophet who has been raised up like Moses is Jesus. This is the one who has been sent to you face to face. So what he's done, he says, here is the fulfillment of that scripture. Jesus has come and he has spoken face to face and he's coming again. So it meant it for that day. It also meant when he's coming again to reestablish the messianic kingdom. So there's application there is a fulfillment, there is a literal fulfillment to scriptures, but there's application again and again. And we see this, we see this in, 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 in preaching. And, and so in Acts chapter 4, for example, when Peter and John are preaching in Acts chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, they start quoting from Psalm 1. Well, Psalm 1 has to do particularly with... with, uh, uh, um, with, with Armageddon, when all the armies will be gathered... Uh, gathered up against Israel. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, is speaking of Armageddon, but Peter is applying it to that day. So there's application to the, this particular day. There's application of these scriptures to our lives today, although the fulfillment of a prophecy may come sometime later or may have come previously. Application is always there. And we see this constant pattern used in the New Testament where they take Old Testament scriptures and apply it to the work that day, even though the prophecy may have already been fulfilled or has yet to be fulfilled. And then he says, it is to you, in verse 25, who are the, who are the prophets, I'm, I'm sorry, it is to you, the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. He says, to you first. The Bible says clearly in several places, the gospel was to the Jew first. And then it went to the Gentile. And here he's saying it again. Again, it's coming to you first. And then it's going to come to the Gentiles. So the pattern that we see in this, the lesson for us is we can have a relationship with God 
that is a time of refreshing. If we have trouble drawing in day after day, ask God, Lord, is there something here in my life? Because God wants so much to have Jesus have that close relationship with us. And this is a treasure that we have as believers. Now turn to Acts chapter 4, reading from verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Okay, so this was a very productive day. Back in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved at the first preaching of Peter. Here in Acts, then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed the lame man, a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. He was over 40 years old. They heal him. They preach this message. And 5,000 people get saved. So now the church is 8,000 and it says this is 5,000 men. And in Acts chapter 2, it was 3,000 men. So if you assume that, that there's an equal number of women, the church now is, is 16,000 people in Jerusalem. That's a pretty good-sized church. If you have a 16,000-member church in Houston, that's a good-sized church. So you have 16,000 people now, members of the church in Jerusalem. That's a good-sized church. There's a lot of people. This concerns the Jewish leaders now. It really concerns them. You know, if, if just next door a church just opened up and 16,000 people joined that church, you'd be a little concerned, right? Especially if that church were preaching something different than what you're preaching. You'd be like, what is going on there? And so they were concerned. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. So in the middle of their preaching, while they were preaching, and we learned later on in the chapter, standing with them, and we learned earlier in, the ch- in, in, in chapter 3, standing with them was this man who had been healed. So it was Peter, John, and the lame man standing there just dancing around as they're preaching. And as they were speaking, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came to them. So, the captain of the temple guard was actually second only to the high priest in his governance of the temple area. So remember, this is happening in the temple compound. Remember that, that they were going through this Nicanter gate, the gate called Beautiful, and they were on the colonnade area of Solomon. And, and, and uh, uh, so this is all in the temple compound area. So the captain of the, bodyguard, uh, of, of, captain of the temple is actually quite high-ranking second only to the high priest in command of the temple area. He comes along with the priests and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were actually in charge of the temple area. And remember the thing about the Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. Whereas the Pharisees believed in all of those. So the Sadducees were the ones who came. And it says in verse 2, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Remember, the Sadducees taught against the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees taught in favor of the resurrection of the dead. So it was the Sadducees who picked them up because they're preaching the resurrection of the dead. But not only because they were preaching the resurrection of the dead and in the name of Jesus, this man that they had just had killed, but also it says in verse 
to being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people. Just that they were teaching the people and now you had 5,000 followers that day because they were teaching the people. Did you know that if you teach people religious things and you're not an ordained or, or PhD religious leader, people get concerned about that? There is a group that gets concerned. And I know that because people have come up to me. So my colleagues in the religion department have said to me how concerned they are that students come to me for religious counseling and they're not coming to them. Because, and, and, and they said that you don't have to have a PhD to teach this stuff, but it would certainly be good if you did. And they mean a PhD in this stuff. And what my colleagues don't understand is the spirit of life. The life that is speaking through the scriptures rather than just this word and that word. The life that speaks. And this is what people seek. And here is Peter and John. And a miracle was done and life is being spoken forth and a man is healed and walking and 5,000 people are listening. And this concerns those who are in charge of the temple. Because 5,000 people is no small gathering. There's a lot of people now listening in this temple compound area to Peter and John as they're preaching. And this concerns them. And then the other thing that concerns them is they're preaching about the resurrection. The very thing that they preach doesn't happen, they're teaching about. So it concerns them. And in verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Remember what we had learned in, in Matthew that you were not allowed to have a trial after sunset. The Sanhedrin could not have a trial after sunset lest it be done in collusion, lest it be done in secret. And that was then, they violated that in the trial of Jesus. Remember, that was one of the many violations that we went over that occurred during the trial of Jesus. But here, there were so many people, so many witnesses, so they took them, and the temple compound had a jail area. So they put them in jail. And we know later on in the chapter, with them is the man who just got healed. So the man who just got healed spends his first night in jail after he gets healed. I mean, that's it's a real bummer, isn't it? I mean, you just get healed, you start walking after more than 40 years, and then you get thrown in jail. And he gets thrown in jail with Peter and John, so it's probably not that bad. I mean, for the rest of his life, he could say, you know, I was in jail with Peter and John. So that, that looks pretty good then. And it says, and they put them because it was already evening. And so that makes sense to us in the context of they couldn't have a trial because it was evening. Verse 4. But many of those who have heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you, have you done this? Okay, so it says, the next day, because during the daytime they had to have the trial, it had to be done during, during sun, uh, sunlight, and it had to be done after the morning offering, which occurred at 9 a.m. And again, remember, Jesus had multiple trials before, at night and before the morning offering. And so, uh, Jesus, in fact, was the morning offering. Uh, but here, it had to be after 9 a.m., and the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together. The rulers were the Sadducees, the elders and the scribes were the Pharisees. 
So remember, you had, you had both Sadducees and Pharisees making up the Sanhedrin. It was about one-third Sadducees, two-thirds Pharisees. And, and they make up the Sanhedrin, the 71 members. You didn't have to have all 71, but you had to have a certain number. I, I, I don't recall what that number was. It was something greater than half of them had to be there. All right, so, so um, and remember, the high priest was one of the 71. And it says on, in verse 6 that Annas, the high priest, was there and Caiaphas. So remember, Annas was the high priest from 7 A.D. to about 15 A.D. So Annas was the high priest during that period. He had been, he was the accepted high priest in Israel. But then he had been deposed by Valerius, the procurator of of Judea, because of his bloodiness, and he put in his son to be high priest. And so Annas was followed in succession by five of his sons, by one of his grandsons, and then his son-in-law, Caiaphas. So Caiaphas was high priest, until something like 38 or 40 A.D. So Annas still had an enormous amount of control. In fact, Jesus had disrupted Annas' business two times. Uh, One time in the first year of his ministry, he had overturned the tables and driven them out. One time in the last year of his ministry. This was controlled by Annas. All the buying and selling in the temple compound area was controlled by Annas. And in fact, the Romans called it the Romans and the Pharisees, Annas was a Sadducee, called it the Bazaar of the Sons of Annas, because they dominated this. And so now Caiaphas is there. Caiaphas is the one who's the recognized high priest by the Romans. Annas is, still has a lot of power, because high priesthood was supposed to be for life. But Annas was deposed from high priesthood by the Romans because of his bloodiness. And then you have John and Alexander. Those are two others of Annas' sons. And it says all those who are of high priestly descent. So probably Annas and his five sons, as well as his grandson who had served as priest, and now Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who is now priest. And they were all there, and they put them in the middle, and they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And I've read about this from Greek scholars, and here's what they say about this sentence. My Bible says, by what power or in what name have you done this? And that's not a justification to the verse, because they say the last word in this, in this sentence is you. And in fact, the word power there is not power like having great might. The word power there is like magical power or incantation. So by what magical power or, what in, or in the name or whose name is this incantation has this been done by people like you? You see the change in this? This is, this is actually very contemptuous in the way it's said. How has this been done by people like you? That's the way that they have been spoken to. If you as a believer ever feel like somebody has spoken to you harshly because you're a believer and it's ruffled your feathers a little bit, get over it. Because it's going to happen more. If you're willing to speak up about the Lord, people will say things to you and about you that is really quite hurtful. But wear that as your badge of honor for walking with the Lord. And if nobody ever says anything harsh about you and about your words, maybe you're not speaking enough. Because that's the way to have nobody speak harshly about you is never say anything. But if you're going to speak up about the Lord... People are going to say harsh things about you. Let's close in prayer.
Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of the Scriptures. And Lord, I thank You that if we will turn and repent, that You will send Jesus the Christ who has been appointed for us. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know You, draw them to You, I pray. And Father, if there's anyone here who has not spent time with You, to know what it is to experience the presence of the Lord and the, fre- and the freshness of the Lord, Father, I pray that You would do that, that You'd speak into their lives. And Lord, I also pray that You would so work and so move in the lives of these young people to pour out power and grace and blessing. And Father, that they would be willing to speak up about the Lord. And even, even as Peter and John spoke up about the Lord and they were so spoken to harshly, Father, I pray that these young people would remember that and they'd so walk with Jesus. And Lord, I commit them to You and ask Your mercies and Your blessing to be upon them. And Father, I ask Your blessing to be upon all those who have gone from this church on mission trips to South Texas and all those who are going to to Paris. Father, I pray Your blessing and Your mercies on them. And Lord, I lift this to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.